He didn't remember being born. He thought back as far as he possibly could, but only found slow, nebulous waters, glimmering with intermittent clarity. An image of his mother, youthful, waiting with his father at the hospital, too short to see over the counter. Butterflies at school, the backyard of his old house, sitting in a department store, bored. The fragments seemed to pull themselves out of nothing, little by little, until finally he could discern the story he called himself. Would death be like this? Would his memories simply fade out as they had faded in? He would lay ancient and failing. He would lay surrounded by images slowly swallowed by familiar waters. And he would realize the memories had not pulled themselves out of the murk. They had been uncovered. They had been revealed by the same benign tide that was finally rising again. And his dreams would taper off, little by little, until all things melted into a glistening nothingness. These are autobiographies in the third person. the state of Utah. Unfortunately, the title of first woman to ride a goat backwards across the state of Utah and survive would be awarded to someone else years later. She closed the book and said, it's funny the things you don't remember. He wondered if she was thinking of how she would be remembered, how many acts she had performed, good and bad, that no one would talk about 
when they found her tattered picture in a photo album. November 2005. In the newspaper, a woman was shocked to find that even though she lived in a pro-choice state, drowning her children in the bathtub did not count as late-term abortion in the eyes of the law. She was heavily fined. March 2011. Hospital. A young woman wearing a bandana and glasses from the 1970s blocked his path with a clipboard. It was a petition. Apparently, there was a comatose patient whose human dignity was being trampled by laws created by bureaucrats to suck every last resource from the poor vegetable's family while he withered. It was inhuman. He voiced concerns about the woman's solution to the problem and that maybe keeping a webcam on the man 24 hours a day to show the world how embarrassing and degrading his life had become would only compound the indignity. She did not take this criticism well. In fact, it further fueled her rage against the system that was not allowing the drooling lump of flesh the decency of death. Her words. Later that week, she and the rest of the activists snuck into the hospital, found the sleeping man, and, after voicing their resolve, used a pillow to quietly put him out of his misery. Unfortunately, they had read the room number incorrectly and smothered a surgeon who was taking a nap in an unoccupied room before his shift. After hearing about this on the news, he regretted signing the petition. February 2016, back home. His friend died suddenly. It left him gobsmacked. It blindsided him. How could something like this happen with no warning? He couldn't fathom it. One day he was there with his friend, telling his friend jokes, reminiscing with his friend about old times, proofreading his friend's suicide note, and the next day, he just never saw it coming. tomorrow. Time to pick your method of capital punishment. I am so excited and a little overwhelmed. There are so many options. That's what I'm here for. Let's find the best fit for you. May I suggest the breaking wheel? Very classy. Oh, what do you do with that? Roll me down a hill? I love rolling. Not quite. We'd lash you to it here and here, with some ropes, tightly of course, as to inflict maximum discomfort. Then we'd break your arms and legs with a large hammer. We could also use the wheel itself to smash your arms and legs. It's really up to you. It's a bit of a waste, don't you think? I thought you might use it to spin me around till I die, or, I don't know, do something more wheelie? I guess you could say it's a bit roundabout. <laughs> oh. More of a presentation thing, really. Like I said, 
classy. Oh, what about that one over there? All right, what we have here is an imported garrote all the way from Spain. This is an older model, still very nice. We just ordered the new one, so that'll be in by Monday. Oh, I like the chair. It's very Spanish. Yes, it's quite nice. Newer model is very comfortable. Excellent cushioning. You crank this here at the neck and slowly pushes this piece in, giving you a luxurious strangle. I do love a good strangle, but you won't get the new one in until Monday, you said? Monday. Is there any way you could get it in sooner? It's just, <laughs> the execution is on Saturday, and I would feel terrible being a bother and asking them to delay. Afraid not. If I had known sooner, I could have put in for rush delivery, but... Coulda, woulda, shoulda. <laughs> I might go with the older model, but let's keep shopping around. Right. Now, if you liked the strangling, maybe you'd be into a nice crush. See this giant stone? We'd lower it right into your torso. You won't be able to breathe with all that weight on you, that's for sure. Now, it's not for everyone. If you're opposed to having your ribs crushed and your organs squirting out of your mouth and anus... You might want something else. I'm not totally against that, but maybe something... Oh, I don't know. Let's go crazy. Something flashy. Something that says, Hello, world. I'm ready to die. Flashy. Hmm. Let me... Aha! I've got just the method of slow, torturous death for you. Oh. My. God. I think I might be in love. This is a real beauty. A completely refurbished, brazen bull, straight from Italy. If purchased, you will be placed inside this door. Notice the hollow statue is made completely of bronze. A fire will be cast underneath the bull, and you will be slowly roasted to death. But that's not all. Aside from this beautiful exterior, use of fire, and the unholy torment, the statue has a special apparatus located here in the snout, which will transform your screams of anguish into the mooing of a bull, further demeaning you the victim. It's beautiful. I'll take it. That's how old Franz bought himself a brazen bull. But it wasn't all good times for Franz, no sir. Cause you see, right round the time they was gonna shove that boy into that monstrosity of human imagination, well, wouldn't you know it, it rained. It rained so hard, in fact, they couldn't light a fire under the bull. Sure, Franz still jumped inside the thing, kept saying, come on guys, it'll work. Come on, poor boy. I don't even want to tell you how disappointed he was. All wet and slumped over. Don't worry, said the townsfolk. Don't worry there, old Franz. The rain's got to stop sometime. You'll be burning before you know it. But old Franz wasn't so lucky. The rain, well, it didn't stop. Days went by. Then weeks, and there was old Franz, standing by his bull, ankle deep in mud, dead rats and feces, knocking two rocks together, trying to get a spark started. Wasn't long till the townsfolk forgot Franz was even supposed to die. The children called him Bull Boy, on account of the bull, and the grown folk, well, they just shook their heads, on account of the shame. 
So old Franz, well, he decided if the rain wouldn't stop, he wouldn't stay. Can't be raining everywhere, said old Franz. So he grabbed that big old bull by the horns and drug it. Drug it right out the town square through the mud. Right out the town. He drug it o'er the hills, through the woods, across the swamps. Drug that bull from one town to the next, looking for a dry spot. But that rain, that rain just seemed to follow old Franz. Thing is, he went to so many towns, dragging along that bull and dragging along that rain. But he started getting himself a reputation. You see, in that region there had been a mighty bad drought, what lasted close to ten years. All the farmers just raking around dirt, trying to look busy, eating rocks and making soup out of stray cats and misbehaving children. There he is, they'd say when he came. Bull Boy, the Rainmaker. Bull Boy was a miracle. An omen of good tidings, the town scholars would say. Word got out and the town started preparing for old frauds. There was parties, dancing, slipping slides. In one town, a marching band followed Franz through the streets, as if they were the leader of a parade. Gave old Franz quite the soundtrack, but it was raining so hard, well, he didn't even notice. Now, that parade was such a joyful occasion, people didn't want it to end. But old Franz wasn't about to stay in no rainy city, no, sir. Looking for himself a dry spot. So the people followed him right out the town. Yes, they did. First, just the marching band and some confused transients. Then, some more respectable folk shop owners, mud dealers, and other such upright citizens. You know, kind of people what could afford pants. Then, the mayor. By the time Franz had reached down 20, he had near 300 people following him. My lord, these people were confused, especially the ones at the back of the herd. Somewhere along the line, they got the notion Bull Boy was leading them to the promised land, and they were sure to let any onlookers know about it. And so the onlookers, well, they would join, cause who doesn't want to go to the promised land? By the time Franz reached down 30, the religion of Bull Boy, the Rainmaker, was a nationally recognized institution, complete with sacred texts, complex hierarchies, and a mailing list. Services were held every Thursday. Of course, not everyone agreed on the interpretation of the good word. Sure, they agreed on some things. No umbrellas. Gotta keep a walking. But boy, they would argue about the differences. Let me tell you. Fundamentalists said dragon was essential and would perform ritual dragon pulls in each service. Performers thought of dragon more as a symbol of man's struggle against himself and nature. Obviously, this caused quite a bit of conflict. The debates got so heated, in fact, that one rainy afternoon, 
the two denominations started preparing for war. Luckily, there was Tuba Joe. Tuba Joe had tooted his tuba back in the first parade, but had to take himself a breather around Town 6 and straggled long near the back line ever since. He had the good sense to find a youth-legged youngster and tell him to go to the front line. Bull boys are only hope, said Joe. Now, normally putting something like that on the shoulders of a child, well, it's just unthinkable. But the times demanded it, and the child knew he had been chosen by fate in the great bull. and took on the task with his shoulders back, his head high, and his legs a-running. So the little boy started his famous journey to the front of the line. He ran day and night, night and day, till finally he reached the front. He pushed through the tarred marching band and their rusted instruments, and then there he was, the bull boy, dragging along the statue just like in the scriptures. Sure, he was a little scrawnier than the scripture said, and had less teeth, and had a smell about him what cut straight through to the bone, and was looking up at the rain using some language an incarnate deity ought not use. But it was him, Bull Boy. The boy got up his grit and told the tale. At first, old Franz was annoyed at the kid. After all, he was trying to outrun the rain. But then he listened, and something changed in him. You see, old Franz didn't know nothing about his followers, or the religions, or even that anyone was walking behind him at all. And once he realized that, realized how much he actually meant to all those people, well, for the first time in his life, Franz realized he had a reason to live. And then the rain stopped, and a beautiful sun spilled over the horizon, and all was bright. Then Franz said unto the boy, Go back, young child, for you are my prophet. Tell them in the caboose what you have seen. Bring them my word, for I shall lead my people. Unfortunately, Franz's epiphany came right round the time the real church had caught up to him. They was awful sore about Franz dragging so much of their congregation along with him on his blasphemous crusade. And so, like any religion of peace and goodwill, they decided to execute old Franz right there. And lucky for them, it was a beautiful day for an execution, and Franz had drug along the perfect tool for the job. You see, sometimes things just work out. You're listening to Story Radio AM. July 1996, in the car with his mother and two other Cub Scouts. They were begging his mother to change the station to something more palatable when they came across the wreck. It was the first wreck he had ever seen, 
and would be the biggest he would ever see. The emergency workers hadn't arrived yet. His mother pulled over and went to help. He admired his mother for doing this, mostly because it provided him an opportunity to turn off the radio. The man who caused the wreck was named Roger. Roger had been driving a rented hearse with his mother's body in the back. Roger had insisted only he could take her to the funeral home. Roger couldn't stop thinking about the last thing his mother said to him. Why are you so stubborn? Why do you always ignore problems until it's too late? This bugged Roger as he had never thought of himself as stubborn and refused to think it now. A lifetime of practice in denying that he denied problems provided Roger sustained, laser focus on convincing himself he was right and his mother was wrong, and allowed him to push aside less important distractions such as the sign reading, do not enter, severe tire damage, the unmistakable sound of loose rubber unraveling beneath the vehicle the tooth-grinding shriek of metal rims against asphalt, the constant eruption of sparks, and the semi-truck stopped in front of him carrying six tons of butter. Lesser men may have snapped out of their confused inner dialogue, but Roger was a professional. Roger's flaming hearse made solid contact with the truck, jettisoning Roger's mother from the coffin onto the road. The heat from the white, glowing, tireless rims quickly melted the butter, unleashing an oily wave across the summer-hot highway. It knocked over another truck full of popcorn kernels, which, after spilling into the now-sizzling butter, exploded into a hellish white cloud. Twenty-three unsuspecting commuters entered the blinding fluff and spun out of control on the freshly buttered road. The sight was horrific and smelled amazing. His mother ran from the car to Roger and provided first aid. I'm fine, said Roger, stubbornly. There was a lot of blood and he couldn't see out of his right eye, but Roger was a professional. The fire trucks and ambulances slid clumsily into the scene, causing extra damage that they would later omit from their reports. They were very condescending to his mother, who had stopped Roger's bleeding and treated him for shock. She went back to the car and waited with the boys. The rescuers made poor choices in prioritizing medical care and administered CPR to Roger's lightly brazed mother. They realized their mistake after they finally strapped her slippery body into the stretcher. Not wanting the last 15 minutes of struggling with her buttery dead weight to go to waste, they went ahead and put her in the ambulance. After several failed attempts at gripping the door handle of Roger's fully lubricated hearse, they brought in the jaws of life. This was exciting for them, as they had never gotten to use it before. By the time they figured out how to turn on the contraption, Roger's consciousness had started to fade. The head trauma, mixed with the smells, brought back vivid, waking dreams for Roger. The theater, his mother next to him, both smiling. Extra butter, layer it, his mother had said. She loved butter, 
so did he. His fingers would get greasy, and she would wipe them with the extra napkins. They didn't talk during the movie, and he couldn't remember her voice very well. It bugged him. Roger wished she had nagged him more about being stubborn and about ignoring his problems, and he wished they had talked during the movie, and that he hadn't left angry halfway through that last conversation. Roger would look at her beside him in the ambulance for the first time since she had died. Over and over he would say, I love you. I love you. I love you. August 1996. His mother had been shaken by the accident and would look through the obituaries in the weeks following to see if Roger showed up. This was the first he had heard about obituaries, and he continued his mother's short-lived obsession long after she coped with the trauma. It was an obsession that the doctors would later diagnose as unhealthy, and one that he continued to this day. November 1996, the obituary read, John Kaplan, 45, after a long, exhausting, tumultuous battle with cancer, passed away last Tuesday when he was hit by a car. April 2001, the obituary read, Reed Cunningham, 63, was a generous man who donated his body to medical students and then was killed by medical students. December 1998, the obituary read, Abby Schneider, loving mother and sister, passed away peacefully at Grassy Pines Nursing Home Monday morning after being strangled with a catheter by one of her escaping patients. March 2007, the obituary read, Lawrence Thipp passed away at age 78. He always thought of himself as a father and a brother. This was due to severe schizophrenia. September 2005, the obituary read, Davarian Martin passed away at birth when police opened fire. In a statement, the officer responsible claimed he was screaming and covered in blood, and I think he was reaching for a weapon? The officer received an official recognition from the city and is undergoing therapy for the traumatic incident. June 2011, the obituary read, Herb Burbson, 81, was an extremely large man. He died after being pushed onto the train tracks, where his unrealistic weight stopped a passenger train from crashing into an improbably placed brick wall, saving all 200 people on board. To avoid argument, the family requests all who attend the service refrain from using the words utilitarianism, moral ambiguity, and hypothetically. 2017. His grandfather had written his own obituary. I've already got it planned out. Every word his grandfather read to him was labored and gasped, and each brief declaration of this man's intended remembrance felt sharp in his ears. If he had read this in the newspaper, as he had so many others, he would have thought nothing of it. The page was an empty tomb, 
It held only the echo of bodies. The voice was flesh, and like all flesh, it would soon become a memory. December 2017. There are upsides and downsides to everything. Jennifer would ride her bike to work every day. The upside? Exercise, fresh air, time to think. The downside? Two miles of dodging angry drivers. She didn't mind the downsides too much. Jennifer was quiet and kept to herself. The upside? No explanation of her beliefs. The downside, no personal connections. She was polite and good with the kids. And, while they thought she was a little strange, her co-workers accepted her. She didn't mind the downsides too much. There was a man long ago who made a new church. The upside, he got to curate what he deemed to be the most important aspects of the faith. He built a strong community where once alienated people were accepted and loved, and he made a lot of money. The downside. He created a cult. He didn't mind the downside too much. There are upsides and downsides to everything. The leader demanded full, pure devotion to God, which had its upsides utter certainty of shelter from the corruption of this world and bliss in the next. The downside, utter certainty of shelter from all this world had to offer, including medicine. To put the trust of healing in hands other than God's was unthinkable. The downsides were strictly enforced, which seemed like it would have been a problem for the leader when his heart stopped working. Of course, one of the upsides to being the leader is you get to ignore some of the downsides. While he preached to let the spirit flow through your veins, medication flowed through his. While so many in the faith died with their ailing flesh in the hands of God, the leader died with his failing heart in the hands of a surgeon. There are upsides and downsides to everything. Upside cult leader and hypocrite dies, disillusioning half the church, who then leave. Downside, cult leader and hypocrite is martyred by true believers, who then galvanize their practices and further insulate their congregation. Downside, Jennifer started turning yellow after Christmas break. Downside, no one knew how to ask if she was okay. Downside, she wasted away in front of them. Jennifer left a note that said she would come back to work when she got better. They never saw her again. Her father came to work and told them she was dead. He was crying. He loved her. She 
wanted to live until the end, he said. She believed she would be saved until the end. And so had he, and so had all the people who cared so much about her and were with her when she finally drifted off. And they all believed they were doing the right thing, and they all loved her. I should have saved her. I should have helped her. I should have called the police. I should have kidnapped her and forced her into the hospital. I should have. I should have. There are no cycles in life like some people claim. There are only spirals. We repeat ourselves in a circle, but only downward. There are no should-haves that can reverse the spiral, and each utterance of those words serve only the inner monologue of imagined heroic capability. There is only one true should-have, and it will ease the descent only if paired with the one true I will. I should have been more kind, and I will be more kind. I should have shown her more love, and I will show more love. I should have helped her more, and I will help more. The bottom of the spiral will always be the ending, but it does not have to be a dark ending. I should have. I should have. He hated the beach, but he stood there at night, alone. He couldn't even tell that the sand was eroding under the waves. I should have. I should have. They were the selfish whispers that came with the water and helped pull away the earth, grain by grain. Over and over, they covered the sand and receded, and covered the sand and receded, and covered the sand. Autobiographies in the Third Person is written, composed, and performed by Patrick Fitzgerald. Please see the description for any other credits.